Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Always wonderful to have you with me in this look at our times and history through a lens of faith and character and leadership. We need to talk about in this episode one of the most important issues of our moment, and that is Ukraine. But I want to talk about the American response to Ukraine and some of the controversies about that response going on in our society. Amongst a lot of conservatives, and remember that I consider myself a conservative, though not hard right wing, there are people who are griping, who are complaining, who are opposed to us helping Ukraine resist the incursions, the assaults of Russia. They're doing this because they consider Ukraine to be corrupt, and there's no question that coming out of the Soviet years, Ukraine went through some very corrupt years. You had the oligarchs. You had you know, Soviet security agencies gone independent. You had ex-KGB agents grabbing the money for themselves, et cetera. It, it had a lot of corruption, as did all of the Russia, the former Soviet republics. It's just the way, it's what communism produced in the culture of the people. I'm not making an excuse for it. I'm saying no question, that is correct. I do believe that Vladimir Zelensky went after corruption to a large degree, and it's far less now. But no question, it's there. Uh, Other people are upset uh, because they believe that Ukraine is a liberal European democracy, and why would we stand with it? Why would we stand uh, with this woke nation? Well, uh, I understand that Ukraine certainly, and Vladimir Zelensky, they are not conservatives. They are not the founding fathers of America. But let me just say that in our history as Americans, we have often stood beside and fought alongside people who weren't perfect. Good Lord, at one point we had Stalin and Stalin's Russia as our ally. We have fought against a corrupt South Vietnamese governments. We have fought besides others uh, where we pretty much had to hold our nose. And so sometimes you fight a greater evil by allying yourself with what some might consider to be a lesser evil. Now, I don't think Ukraine is evil. I don't think Vladimir Zelensky is evil. I don't think that Ukraine is completely evil, of course. But yeah, it's not the ideal American conservative society. Vladimir Zelensky is pro-abortion, and I'm sure they are libertine as far as LGBTQ issues and what have you. And so, yeah, they're, they're, they're conservatives could certainly be upset with them. But I want to suggest that those aren't the most salient issues. The idea that Ukraine is not ideal, and by the way, some folks are even excited that Putin makes a nod towards being a Christian, uh, talks about woke Western societies, talks about the rise of trans and gay communities, uh, talks about our weakness in the West, our moral weakness in the West, and slams home uh, what would be a Judeo-Christian morality system. And many people buy into that and say, hey, this guy's actually a Christian warrior. It's not true, but at least I'm saying that some people are looking to that. So these are the criticisms of Ukraine. 
Ukraine. But I want to suggest to you, there are some very good reasons for us to back Ukraine. It's why I advocate for it. It's why Bev and I support these efforts and certainly relief efforts with our uh, giving. And it's why I advocate here in D.C. for supporting Ukraine and walk around with a you know Ukrainian flag on my lapel and what have you. Um, the first reason that I believe is absolutely critical for us to support the Ukraine, not the Ukraine, but Ukraine, that's the proper way to say it, as they face down the Russian incursions, uh, is Russia itself. There is no question that Putin's Russia and its resurgent Russian empire dreams is one of our greatest enemies as Americans. And Russia is in many ways, it's in decline in a huge number of ways, but militaristically, it's on the rise. They have more warheads than nuclear warheads than we do. They are mobilizing, they are militarist, and there's no question that Vladimir Putin intends a resurgent Russian empire. And if he's successful in Ukraine, he will absolutely go after other European countries. Already, he's laying the foundation for that. So even if we don't like Ukraine, I would much rather have backed another country <laughs> if, we, if we were voting for who to back against the Russians. We don't get to choose that. What we get to choose is the battle that's handed to us. And Vladimir Putin decided to send troops by the hundreds of thousands into Ukraine. He's done it. It hasn't gone well. After the muddy season here in the spring over there passes, uh, we're going to see renewed hostilities. The Ukrainians are revving up for this. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be bad. But what we have to understand is that this, in Vladimir Putin's mind and in the Russian culture, at least in the leadership culture, is about a renewed Russian empire. If they're victorious in Ukraine, they will absolutely be invading other Eastern European countries and perhaps other Western European countries. And that's why the chokehold on petroleum, that's why uh, some of the dancing around uh, in the Arctic, that's why uh, some of the intimidation of other nations. So number one, we want to support the Ukraine. We want to support Ukraine. I'm sorry, I'm trying to get used to saying it the new way, which is proper, because it is opposing the expansionist aspirations of Putin's Russia. And if we don't, we don't fight them in Ukraine, we will be fighting them somewhere else. Second of all, we have actual treaty obligations with European countries. That's what NATO is all about. We have actual treaty obligations. We can't sit by quietly while Putin puts Russian troops wherever he chooses to in Europe. Now, I realize that Ukraine is not a member of NATO. I realize it's uh, not technically, in many people's minds, part of Europe. But the whole war and Putin's aggressive tendencies threaten countries that we have treaty obligations with. They are good and valid treaty obligations, ones we want to keep, ones we want to respect. And if we don't, then we will see Russia moving into Western Europe. Now, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit more sentimental about this than a lot of people because I grew up in Western Europe. You, many of you know that I spent many, many years of my youth in Germany, have a real affinity with Germany, as I've often said on this podcast. It's a bit uh, fun and ironic to me that I have a German daughter-in-law. Therefore, my grandson, one of my grandsons is technically dual citizenship. He's German. 
I'm saying that I care more about Western Europe than a lot of Americans understand or, or, or that they do, given our distance from them. But these are important treaty obligations. These are a hedge against a Russian empire. These are people who are our allies. And I realize that some of you who are Trump supporters watched him trash NATO and trash Europe and speak of dead Europe and speak of the Welchers who didn't pay their bills in NATO. And I realize a lot of people got soured on Europe. But Europe is our ally. It may be difficult. We may have to work on a troubling special relationship, but we have treaty obligations. We should be helping to protect Europe. We should be honoring our NATO obligations, and it will prevent greater bloodshed and hostilities in time. So please keep that in mind. But I'll tell you the reason that's most compelling to me, and it's going to sound like chest thumping to a lot of you, but I'll tell you the reason that really is most compelling to me, and that is in our present world— There are only a few superpowers. You know what those are, and some of them don't even really qualify as superpowers. Certainly Russia, certainly China, certainly the United States. Uh, Iran is on the move, a a massive exporter of terrorism in the world. Um, It wouldn't be called a superpower, but it certainly is exerting itself worldwide. And in this scenario, in this landscape, if you show weakness, you're screwed. If you show weakness, especially, and I'm going to risk being insulting here, especially the United States, which is aging in population, which has an octogenarian president who is looking pretty unstable as he walks and moves around and in his discussions with world leaders, a woman as his vice president, which I, by the way, celebrate. I don't like this particular woman as vice president, but I like the idea of a woman. But other nations look and say it's weakness. I'm just telling you how it, how it plays in some cases. And we have had some massive displays of weakness. And that almost guarantees aggression from our enemies. It's not just posturing. It's not just theater. It's not just chest thumping. You must show strength or people who only respect power and strength will see you as weak and they will act against you. Our exit from Afghanistan was a disaster. It was the result of Mr. Biden's attempt to observe an anniversary. He wanted to be out by September 11th, 20 years after we got, of course, the first September 11th. His generals told him not to do it. Members of his cabinet told him not to do it. A lot of people who weren't even in military, weren't even military advisors, but had served in the military, told him not to do it. His intelligence services told him not to do it. But Joe Biden's a politician and he likes those anniversary celebrations. And he wanted to pull it off by a certain time. And we left in weakness. It has cost lives. It has damaged the cause of freedom in Afghanistan. It has damaged the rise of women. It has escalated our enemies. It was a massive display of weakness the world over. And I assure you that Russia invading Ukraine was in part fueled by the perception of American weakness. And I believe with all my heart, and by this doesn't originate with me, I've heard briefing from Pentagon generals here of late that I was allowed to attend. And I'll tell you that If we are weak in supporting Ukraine, we will lose Taiwan and we will lose other territories and our allies will be threatened because China 
and Russia, which are right now forging an alliance. In fact, China's trying to negotiate a peace in Ukraine. If they, they do that, it'll be the first time an Asian country has negotiated or had an effect on any kind of European peace. And it will raise China's esteem the world over. And man, they will not use that for good, let me assure you. So if we show weakness in Ukraine, China will move on Taiwan because they won't believe we have the sand to stand against them. And by the way, I've been told by Pentagon uh, generals and an analyst that, that a war for Taiwan right there in that those straits will be unbelievably bloody, perhaps one of the bloodiest things we've ever seen in American history or will see for quite some time to come. And that's pretty much a quote what I just said. So I believe it's not as though you have to go around being all, you know, bravado-y everywhere in the world in every theater. But when you have allies and you don't stand with them or you leave something, a place that you have basically controlled for 20 years and you do it weakly and stupidly and you cost lives and damage your own cause and strengthen your enemies and, and damage the very democratic values that you've been espousing and preaching and insisting from other countries, I'll tell you, your enemies are emboldened and the United States can't afford it. We don't look that Good. Imagine that you're sitting in a Muslim country. Imagine that you're sitting in China, Beijing. Uh, Imagine that you're sitting in Moscow and you're reading the news about America. And we're busy, preoccupied with how to have sex and who's trans and who's not. And imagine the stuff they're watching. And what about the gay community? And what about this? And what about that? And there's our 80-some-year-old president barely able to climb the stairs to Air Force One. I'm not being ageist. I'm talking about perceptions. And there's Kamala Harris, the vice president. And whatever virtue there may be about her, she is hardly even coherent when she speaks. She's hardly even articulate. There are just YouTube, Twitter, there are vast, I've I've sat there and watched her when she was about to make a speech, she got the countries wrong, she didn't make any sense, she's got a lot of political babble that she just pours out and thinks she said something important. My point is not what Stephen Mansfield thinks or what conservatives think at this moment. My point is, what does the world think? We are perceived as weak, we are perceived as aging, we are perceived as corrupt and immoral, Uh, we are perceived as silly in many cases, our debates, our politics politics silly. And that emboldens our enemies. So we've already left Afghanistan like idiots. And now if we abandon Ukraine, if we don't stand against a resurgent Russian empire, if we don't support what is functionally, not not officially, but functionally a European ally, we're fools. And by the way, Ukraine by treaty gave up its nuclear powers in exchange for protection from the West. So we really have treaty obligations to support Ukraine. So I'm sorry that I disagree with so many of my conservative friends. I have dear friends who are not at all in favor of this war, but I will tell you that I think we are foolish in this landscape of of global affairs today to not realize and to not conduct ourselves according to the idea that we are keeping Russia in check, that we have treaty obligations that are important, and that if we show weakness, we will reap the whirlwind, not just for us, but for our descendants. So let's win this thing. And by the way, in the next few weeks, we're going to see hostilities ramp up to a new level because they've had a light winter. Things are very muddy over there, a lot of water. The ground's going to harden up here uh, after the, the, the wetness of spring. 
and both sides have been ramping up for a massive assault, a massive battle or series of battles this spring. The sucker's about to be decided for the most part in the next few months, and we've got to be resolute. Thanks for tuning in to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Let's do this together, and let's win this war. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular global speaker, and senior fellow for public leadership at Palm Beach Atlantic University. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.